Okay, let's go with this again. All right. Here's a final shot. Let's, let's go through the story of Scripture, a pattern that emerges all the way through Scripture. Here's the pattern. God speaks. His people hear his voice, and they are to obey it. God speaks. His people hear his voice, and they are to obey it. Then obeying that word of the Lord is fraught with many challenges and trials, things that come against or stop your obedience to what you know God has spoken to you. But the true believer will persevere in the face of them because you know that God has spoken, and you keep on going at it. God speaks, and he does wonders as his normal way of communication. We have to be people who are intimate with God, intimacy with God, so that we can hear his voice and we can obey. The entire Hebrews 11 describes what I just said to you. By faith, by faith, by faith. In each case, they heard the voice of God, had to obey it against all kinds of challenges. That is just the story of Scripture. That's the way it works. So, why is it that we believe that we no longer hear the voice of God? Do we not hear the voice of God today, or is it all institutionalized and formal, academic? Faith is hearing the voice of God, acting on it, living it out, in spite of all the challenges that are happening. That's the story of Noah. It's the story of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. Read them all if you want to read them all in Hebrews chapter 11. Each time the word was not a written document, but the word, they had heard God in their hearts. That's what it was. All right, we've already looked at 1 Samuel 3, what happens when people don't hear God. When there was no word of the Lord in 1 Samuel, what happened to the nation? It was in a horrible, backslidden, desperate position state. So God raised up Samuel to be a prophet. And for him to know the Lord was to have the word of the Lord revealed to him. That's what it means to know the Lord. I like what Isaiah said. Isaiah 50 in verse number 4. Morning by morning he wakes me up that I might hear his voice and he could teach me. Please, Lord. I want to argue that miracles are part of our heritage. Miracles are part of our heritage. We are not to be strangers to the miraculous power of God. Matter of fact, according to the scriptures, I believe in the Psalms, it says, pass on the news of the works of God from your generation down. What, what news can we passing down to our generation coming after us? You know, we need to proclaim the works of God to our children. We really do. The central issue is hearing the voice of God and obeying it. What I find interesting in the book of Exodus, when God appeared on Mount Sinai, when he was giving the law, he offered the people the option of hearing his voice. But they, out of fear, chose not to. Do you remember that story? 
And they said, no, you tell Moses and let Moses tell us. Hearing the voice of God for ourselves is a little too hard for us. And now that we have the Holy Spirit, are we going to ask the same thing of God? No, we don't want to hear. Just give it to the preacher who could proclaim it. And there's a lot of preachers who think that's how it works as well. I hear for God, and they just, people listen to what I have to say. You know me well enough, and you've probably heard me say these things before, but they need to be emphasized. Why did the Old Covenant fail? When God gave the law to Moses, why did it fail to the point that God had to say, I'm going to give a new covenant? What was the reason that God says, I'm going to make a new covenant? The answer, according to the prophets, is very, very simple. The way Paul the Apostle spoke about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he answered the question. And here's the answer. The reason the old covenant failed is because it was given but not accompanied by spirit. That's why it failed. The law was given, but there was no corresponding spirit given with it. Therefore, it became a set of propositions. It became a statement of faith. It became a, a law, a legal code, but there was no spirit, and it failed. Therefore, Paul or Jeremiah prophesies, I'm going to make a new covenant. Ezekiel prophesies a new covenant. And here's the difference. I'm taking out the old heart. I'm going to give a new heart. And here's the difference. And into that new heart, I'm going to put my spirit. And I'm going to write my laws by my spirit internally in your hearts. You're going to hear me speak to you. You're going to hear the voice of God within you. It's going to be my spirit making my word become internalized and alive inside your heart. You're going to hear my voice. And then my spirit writing my word into your heart, causing you to hear my voice. I no longer say if you keep my word because the word is now alive on the inside of you. It's not if you keep my word. I will empower you and cause you. I will give you both the desire and the power to live out my word. And the missing ingredient was the Holy Spirit. So why? If that's what this testimony of Scripture is, why have we reverted back to just a doctrine, a set of propositions and facts that we are preaching the word, preaching our doctrine, or the things that we believe, and, and, and there's no corresponding Holy Spirit to make this come alive in, in people's hearts. Why? Why have we gone back to an Old Testament way of thinking? I just don't get it. I just don't understand it. My spirit, my spirit, my spirit, the Lord says. We've been given the divine provision of the Holy Spirit to cause us to hear God for ourselves powerful. Now, there are people who would hear me say things like that, and they would object and say, 
oh, all that, sub- this is all subjective. All subjective. And, you know, we can't let be, people be led astray by their subjectiveness. They're going to say God said this when it really wasn't God, it was just themselves. Yes, people do that. Just because people mishandle it does not mean it's not the way it works. We need maturity. We need to test ourselves against the scripture. But God is to speak to us. I think I shared this with you last time. But if I did, it's worth repeating again. Um, Jeremiah 31, verses 33 to 34. Which the writer Hebrews quotes in Hebrews chapter 8. Jeremiah 31, 33 to 34 tells us what the new covenant is. And he says these things. I'm going to write my laws in your heart and in your mind. I will be your God. You will be my people. All will know me from the least to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and their sins I will remember no more. This is the new covenant. We have reduced the new covenant to the last phrase only. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. What about the rest of what Jeremiah said the new covenant is? Now, if I could read this to you from the grammatical sense if I wanted to be technical and academic, if I was to read this in the grammatical sense, what it is saying is this. The goal of the new covenant is to know me. The way you know me is that my laws are written in your heart. And I will be your God, and you will be my people. That is the goal. But standing between me and the goal is your sins. So what I will do is I will deal with the issue of your sins. So when that issue is dealt with, I can impart my spirit into you, cause you to hear my voice, and you will know me for yourself. You won't have to ask your neighbor, what is the Lord like? Because you will hear me for yourself. Everybody will know me. I will be your God. You will be my people because I've put my spirit on the inside of you and I forgive your sins because that's a barrier to me getting to put my spirit in you. And what we've done is we've done away with the law in your heart. We've done away with everybody will personally know me. We've done away with you will hear my voice for yourself. Completely excluded that from our thinking. And we said now the goal of the new covenant is to forgive your sins. No, God forgives your sins so he can impart his spirit to you, so he can speak to you directly into your own heart. That is the new covenant. How did we miss all that? How did we miss all that? Interesting. All right, I can do this in the time we've got left. Matter of fact, I might even beat the clock on this one. That'd be a miracle. <laughs> That's a, you, you thought you said you didn't believe in miracles. Eh? <laughs> I think I can beat the clock on this. 
I'm going to give you a bunch of definitions from three different angles. I'm going to say a word, and then I'm going to give you the Catholic interpretation. Then I'm going to give you the Protestant interpretation. And then I'm going to give you Jesus' interpretation. Wow. Are you ready for this? In the history of the Reformation, the Catholic was attacked because salvation came by the selling of indulgences to earn heaven. Salvation was by works. The Protestant reaction was no. Salvation is by grace alone. No works. Recite a prayer and you are in. It is a free gift, nothing added. That's salvation. Now, listen to Jesus. Salvation means I've come to displace the powers of darkness in your life, both now and for eternity. Salvation comes with gifts of deliverance and healing and, of course, includes heaven. But we tend to be locked in on the Protestant reaction to the Catholic abuse and locked into that, and we miss the bigger picture of what Jesus said it's all about. Let's try another one. grace alone, no works, recite a prayer and you're in, a free gift with nothing added. In other words, it was locked on going to heaven when you die. And Jesus was, um, what, did, what did I say? Displace the powers of darkness both now and for eternity. Includes deliverance and healing. And of course, life after death, but it's life before death too. Okay, let's give some other definitions. A Catholic would say salvation is escape from hell. A Protestant would say salvation is escape from hell. Jesus says salvation is restoration from Satan's ruin because the kingdom has come and we hear God speak to us. Restoration from the ruin of Satan because the kingdom of heaven has come and we hear God's voice. It's interesting, isn't it? Okay, in the Catholic Church, what is authority? Again, in the Middle Ages, it was, I have authority because I do miracles, or we believe in miracles, which confirms that my words are true. You have to believe me because we have miracles. Miracles. 
Therefore, I have the power to speak scripture. Authority. The Protestant sense of authority is this. We have scripture proofs. We have worked out our doctrines. We have a systematic theology. We get our authority from that. The kingdom of heaven is different. We have authority because we obey our Father's voice. Our authority comes from hearing God and obeying God, and that's what gives us authority. Our definition of an apostle, what is it? The Catholic's view is the apostle was, well, that's the Pope. His authority and his writings are infallible. He can trace himself all the way back to Peter. The Protestant definition of apostles are those that God used to write the pages of the New Testament. And they have authority through their writings. That's your Protestant definition of apostle. The biblical definition of an apostle is somebody who was sent out by God to express the kingdom. Somebody who was sent out by God to express the nature of the kingdom. Let's try a different one. Truth. To a Catholic, truth can mean... Now, I realize I'm speaking in very broad terms. This is not going to be true for every person. But in very broad terms, I'm speaking. For a Catholic, the word truth means information. It means what the Pope and the Church has declared. That's truth. They would hold his word to be the truth. For Protestants, truth means the doctrines we have formulated over the years, if we dealt with heresies, we came up with our systems of doctrines, that is the truth. For the New Testament believer, truth is revelation given to me by the Holy Spirit. Revelation given to me by the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the word faith. To a nominal Catholic, faith means I trust and give assent to the church's creeds. I give assent to the church, church's beliefs. That would be faith. To a Protestant, it may mean this. And again, I'm speaking very generally, and it could be a variety of different for different people, but just general sense. Faith has become a statement of propositions that are supported by Scripture, a creed, a statement of faith. We believe these things. Biblically speaking, the word faith means assurance that comes to you by way of revelation. You hear the voice of God, and that word demands your obedience. That's faith. You hear God speak, 
brings assurance to your life, and it demands your obedience. That's what faith is. Well, who speaks? In the Catholic Church, the Pope speaks to create conformity to the church. To the Protestant, the Bible speaks. And we give mental assent and nothing new will be created. In the kingdom of heaven, God speaks. And you hear his voice. And his words are creative. Teaching. What is teaching? To a Catholic, teaching means the church's dogma, the church's doctrine. To a Protestant, it often means the theology of my particular denomination. The theology of my particular denomination. The New Testament uses the word to describe how to hear God's voice and obey it. How to hear God's voice and obey it. Prophecy. Ask that, use that word to a, a person who is a dyed-in-the-wool Catholic. Prophecy means the Pope and some historical saints can speak prophetically. The Protestant would say, nobody receives revelation or prophecy today because that has all ceased. The New Testament teaches that prophecy is a central gift to anybody in the New Covenant. Anybody can seek to prophesy. We're told that in Scripture. You may all prophesy. How do you understand God's thoughts? Catholics would say you can only stand, understand God's thoughts through our church tradition. The Protestants would say our systematic theology will reveal God's thoughts to you. The kingdom of heaven teaches that God's thoughts are brought to you through revelation. Revelation gifts. How do you hear from God? The Catholics would say the Pope hears from God on our behalf. The Protestant would say the pastor of our church hears from God through his Bible study. The Spirit filled believer would say we hear from God because he speaks in our hearts. The Catholic Church in general adds traditions which some people think complicates life. The Protestant Church has a tendency to add rules which complicates life. But God's voice says, but I say unto you, and his speaking clarifies life. Just think of Jesus and the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 5. You've heard that it's said, 
but I say to you. In the Catholic Church, there's an emphasis on theology, and that theology has been codified, become a code in the church. In the Protestant world, the emphasis is on theology, which has been codified by your particular denomination. This is what we believe. In the kingdom of heaven, the emphasis is upon revelation within the heart. Revelation within the heart. Typically, in the Catholic setting, parishioners will support the church's programs. Typically, in Protestant churches, church members will support church's programs. In the kingdom of heaven, believers meet each other's needs by the Spirit. Because we're people of the Spirit, we're sensitive to one another. It's not program-oriented, it's relationship-oriented. We're one another people because of the Spirit. All right? Well, what about this issue of repenting of sin? In the Catholic Church, they would use a confessional to repent of sin. The Protestant Church uses altar calls to repent of sin. The focus of the kingdom of heaven is the Holy Spirit overcoming his overcoming power to change us. How are we doing? To a Catholic, the word baptism means something that happened to me as a baby. To a Protestant, depending on which brand of Protestant church you are, it might mean birth baptized as a baby or baptized a second time when you're born again, depending on which denomination you're in. In the kingdom of heaven, you discover there's a baptism of water, a baptism of the spirit, a baptism of fire, and a baptism into the body of Christ. All kinds of baptisms. A tendency in Catholic churches, the focus ends to be on the building of the church structure and its programs becomes the focus of people's attention. In Protestant churches, the whole focus is getting people saved. And if you don't do that, you're just not faithful to God. In spirit-filled type of settings, the focus is to manifest the kingdom of heaven. And boy, you can get in trouble very easily with Protestants on that one. The focus is to manifest the kingdom of heaven. How do we make disciples? In the Catholic world, you make disciples by training them in the church's doctrine. In the Protestant church, you train them by, you make disciples by training them in the church's doctrine. 
in the kingdom of heaven, you train people to live to hear the voice of God. Train them to hear the voice of God. A Catholic's knowledge is generally detached. It's detached knowledge concerning the church. Amazingly enough, even in Protestant churches, it's detached knowledge concerning the Bible. In the kingdom of heaven, it is revelation-based learning as the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Revelation-based learning as the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Almost done. I will get this. I will beat the clock. Hallelujah. In the Catholic Church, training is from the pulpit or in a classroom. In Protestant churches, training is from a pulpit or a classroom. In the kingdom of heaven, it is apprenticeship on the road modeling and experience. Apprenticeship, father-son relationship. Here's another interesting one. The Catholic Church may exercise control with the threat of excommunicating people. Sometimes Protestant churches do the same. Excommunicate people. In the kingdom of heaven, I don't want to excommunicate anybody. I'd rather work and seek repentance and reconciliation through giftings, one with another. Here's the last one. In a Catholic church, the structure, you walk into a Catholic church, you have rows of pews in church buildings, and the focus is on the Eucharist altar. That's the center. In many Protestant churches, again, you would walk in, and there are rows of pews in church buildings, and the focus is on the pulpit and the preacher with the word. In the kingdom of heaven, you never know what you're walking into. Because... It's not based upon formality. It's based upon one another relationships, often in homes, often appears to be informal, in circles. It's relationship-based church services. Very different. Very different. And so here we've got the struggle between Catholic way of doing things, a Protestant way of doing things, and the Holy Spirit's way of doing things. And there's often a lot of conflict involved. Uh, but if we want to move into the things of the Spirit, move into the, the kingdom of heaven, the reality, do we realize that as we pursue these things, the challenges and demands that they might make upon us, because when we hear all these different definitions, how many realize all of a sudden that makes you pay attention to a lot of things and circumstances and so on. And uh, maybe that's why a lot of people shy away with caution from these things because the cost of embracing them means radical change.
radical change. Anyway, there you go. I beat the clock by five minutes. What do you think? Let's pray before you all disappear. And let's close this in prayer. Thank you for your coming today. Neil, what's our next day? I can't remember. Second of November? December. Oh, December. Okay. Yeah, I will be away um, between now and then. I'll be to India and back. I was in Ukraine since I saw you last time. I'm on my way to India. I'm leaving on the 3rd, and I'll get back on the 23rd. Uh, almost for three weeks, I'll be gone to do two separate, con- well, three three conferences in India. So, and I'll be back in time for the, our next session. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for today. Lord, we said a lot of things. Lord, it's going to make us sit up and pay attention. I just pray, Lord God, that you would, the Holy Spirit that we've been talking about today would speak to us. Lord, that we have not just heard a man, but we've heard the voice of God within our hearts. We want to be people of the Spirit, but Lord, what are we going to do with what we've learned? What does this mean for us? We pray that you would lead us and you would guide us and you would help us. And Lord, just let your blessing rest upon us even as we dismiss from this meeting. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your kindness. Just bless your people this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.